Hey! I am ready to talk about 294. Live from the Talking Joe Studios. It's Talking Joe. Talking Joe is on the air. Hey, hey, hey. Hey! Get, get, get over it. Hey, you getting over your podcast blues. You're with Talking Joe and it's me, Mark, the chief croupier for the Talking Joe Comics Podcast Casino. If you're new to the show, you can find out all of the details over at the website. That website being talkingjoe.co.uk. Today we will be looking at G.I. Joe ARA issue 294, released 29th of June 2022. It is the fourth part of High Stakes. And joining me as always, it's a real American casino bellhop. It's Tim Finn. How are you, sir? There are a lot of knots and snags and holes and cracks and crags in your intro there, Mark, but I won't be nagging like an old hag because this was a this was an issue worth I'm gonna mix my metaphors crowing about hmm. <laughs> uh, I gotta cash in my chips and call your bluff uh, hello mm. listeners hello Mark hello Tim how's your week been good I, w- I was away and then I got home and that's nice and there was miniature golf this week Mm. In, in two two different states. Well, not so miniature. That sounds like a massive golf course. <laughs> if, if you're listening to this and it's cold where you are, everyone, uh, we're recording this and it's warm outside. And uh, uh, as a contrast, we, we did uh, miniature golf that was built in 1948 and is closing at the end of this season. And then later in the same day, we did miniature golf that opened, did they say three months ago? and was indoor and blacklight and sort of futuristic. So Mm. uh, rarely do I do more than one course in a day. And this one was as much contrast as possible. Out with the old, in with the new. So, Tim, last time we spoke, you pawned a little bit of scorn on the suggestion that we would be catching up again so soon to talk about the next issue. How do you feel about that now? you've been proved wrong that it would be coming out so quickly or the mm-hmm. comic itself about the fact that that um yeah it came out on time so you know so quickly after the last one uh well following us following a schedule or capping catching up on a schedule are both good to me and as i have said before in this podcast this comic could be bi-weekly or weekly and i would be fine with it so as much gi joe as idw can or needs to publish and speaking of of which, uh, you know, the content being published is take is taking us at a hurtling pace towards the finale of uh, uh, issue three hundred. And uh, Larry, faking it all my life, Hammer has been posting about reaching that conclusion or, or sort of drawing near to that conclusion. Let me be clear: nothing has been officially announced about who will take over the GI Joe license. And nobody has contacted me. It may well be that 300 will be my last issue. 300 will be both a conclusion and a cliffhanger with enough leeway to allow a continuation of the ARA storyline without killing off any characters. It's been a wild ride these past 40 lit years, and I am humbly grateful to all of the loyal fans who have stuck by Joes through thick and thin. So, 
I will be completely out of work after ARA 300. Maybe I can actually build some of those model kits I've been collecting, or finish my tell-all expose of the comic beers. So there we go. It is uh, the words from Larry on uh, the latest status of uh, of what's happening for 300 and uh, what's happening after it. Tim, thoughts? Yeah. I'm, su- I'm simultaneously surprised and also not surprised because uh, if I thought about what Hama might do in wrapping up the current story, this would be my guess. But it's mm. also still surprising to hear it actually spelled out. But also there's mm. enough ambiguity here that, you know, this is not the plot to 300. This is an approach. And part of me has a hard time believing that no one has approached uh, Hama. I, I'm not I'm not saying he's being untruthful, but I feel like, well, surely there's been some informal, you know, message sent with with Hasro involved or not with Hasro involved, mm. some other publisher. But something that did occur to me just this morning, thinking about the new issue and sitting down for our podcast, is the amount of time that might pass between issue 300 and whatever might come after, mm. which we could call issue one or issue 301. You know, assuming that another publisher takes over, assuming that Hama writes it, and assuming that it continues this continuity... Right. And then assuming that issue 300 arrives in December, the new issue is not going to arrive in January. And, uh, you know, think about what IDW did a couple of years ago when it wrapped up its roughly 10 year, uh, 12 year uh, yeah, um, Transformers. What Devil's did. Uh, no, no, no. When IDW wrapped up its Transformers continuity that started with all the Simon Furman stuff okay. and then wrapped up with the James Robinson and John Barber stuff uh, and and uh, Mairead Scott uh, with the Unicron story you know for two or three months there were no Transformers comics and then a new continuity started with that bi-weekly series right which right now is wrapping up and so some new uh, publisher is going to need to get their own production schedule ramped up you know Someone's going to write it. Someone's going to draw it. They're going to have to, this publisher or the editor there is going to have to figure out how the actual schedule works with approvals at Hasbro. You know, this comic takes longer to make than a normal comic because there's this third party that is involved. And and working out the contract, you know, it doesn't matter what a rumor online said six months ago until a contract is signed and then a new publisher actually starts their their pipeline you know the writer whoever it is isn't going to start writing and this publisher whoever it is may want to get some work banked before the first solicit so it occurred to me this morning that you and i would be out of a job come january you know we will we will continue our uh our even odd episode uh, leapfrog where we talk about devil's do with our co-host jay but in january you and i are not going to be talking about a gi joe comic that's continuing the marvel and idw run and that may be february and march and april as well mm. and that that feeling uh hit me in a funny way yeah we shall we shall see i mean sort of i guess the solicits are generally three months ahead and you know press releases and things often before that so 
uh, once you know the ink is dry on various contracts and things start to get teed up then then hopefully we'll find out before too very long what what some of these plans might be i was just looking back to to the devil's due idw kind of transfer of of power and the the cover date for the last issue of devil's due gi joe was june 2008 and the first issue of idw's gi joe the issue zero the that contained elements from from cobra origins in the main book was october 2008 so only only a short break between the the two of them so i imagine uh i imagine if you know once once things are you know settled legally that uh that you know whoever it is will probably want to try and push on and and hopefully have a uh big enough pipeline that they can they can be working on things in the background for a few months before uh before we start seeing things yeah, and and another way of looking at it is that the next publisher of GI Joe, right? So IDW's license, I think, goes through the end of 2022, mm. and presumably the next publisher's license starts in 2023, and maybe it's a, a five-year term, you know, five years mm-hmm. times 12 months, 60 months from whatever month it starts in. 2023 let's say it's march but it might be a calendar year it might be that this publisher has all of 2023 and the next four years and so to your point about having a shorter gap any months at the beginning of 2023 that the next publisher is not taking advantage of by publishing gi joe comics and making Mm. money off them is money that publisher is not making yeah Yeah. you know we, we we think of this so much as story but it's it's business too, you know. A, a licensor, uh, a licensee, excuse me, is only going to make GI Joe comics because they think they can money. They think they can make money and tell stories, right? Just as Hasbro is only going to make that deal because it's locked in that Hasbro will make some money. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to want to do it and lose money, but but I think I think there's also and and going to be an element of whoever picks up the license that that they just going to be enthusiastic and exciting and excited about it as someone you know as a creator in in their 40s or 50s might might be having you know having grown up with the brand yeah and yes i think uh, i think whoever is licensing this is someone who isn't just a business person who looks at licenses and you know oh should we do playmobile comics should we do duplo Mm -hmm. comics should we do you know visionaries comics Clearly, this is someone who understands that G.I. Joe is highly visible, and also it would be someone who has some affinity yeah. for G.I. Joe. And then, you know, hopefully they they hire people who also have an affinity for G.I. Joe. Uh, I am excited to that point you just made, that whoever takes over, there will be some new energy. As much as I like the solid job that IDW has been doing, and... You know, you don't you don't get any sort of extra reward for for publishing your thirteenth year of a comic or your fourteenth <laughs> year of a comic. Yes, yeah. you might hit a milestone issue like one hundred and fifty or your hundred and fiftieth issue, but you know, you go the other way, and every six issues, a publisher restarts a book at issue number one, gets a lot of excitement, but slowly burns through that excitement with a law of diminishing returns. But mm. there's something to be said for. Uh, a new publisher being able to make a big splash next year 
with new people working on G.I. Joe. And mm. I suspect some established people will also work on G.I. Joe. You know, mm. Um, mm. IDW grabbed a few people for G.I. Joe who had worked on G.I. Joe Devil's Do. IDW grabbed a few people who had worked on Transformers. And, you know, that's not just artists. That's also colorists in, in the case of Transformers. Yeah, and and re- realistically, I think probably when they come to launch, they'll they'll want to have a big fanfare and a and a splash focusing on probably their version of GI Joe initially. So it will be you know big announcement and here's our new number one and it's written by Greg Rucker with art by Michael Lark. What? That's incredible! What? And then uh, and they're not going to sort of want to dilute that initial announcement by doing too much in one go. I would have thought so. So maybe if Larry Hammer is joining the the fold, that maybe they delay that for a little while, let people sort of miss miss it, and there'd be enough time to pass that that when they launch it as well, they can maybe do another big fanfare. You know, Larry Hammer returns to the universe that he created in our brand new, you know, three hundred one or or whatever they do. Yeah, so that's. I think that is an option. I think that is a possibility. At the same time, IDW started with a non-Hama continuity and Hama not writing the main book. And there was a lot of goodwill for that. And that was a good book. But after a couple of years, that stuff lost steam. And it was the Hama book with the old Hama continuity that uh, sustained the license for mm-hmm. IDW. And so I wonder if a publisher for next year looks at that kind of scenario, what you just described, and and decides that it is less of a surprise or a big splash if it's like Hama is continuing his story or Hama is starting a new story that kind of also connects with the old story, but you don't have to worry about the old story. Um, <laughs> I wonder if the focus actually will be more no, it's Hama. It's it, it's the guy that you know seven thousand of you want on this old book, and let's see if if we can not. It's not waste time. It's not to distract, but create additional tracks. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, and then again, some of the and I don't I don't know how such a license the the finances of it work, but you know, if if a new publisher pays a, a flat fee, and then also a percentage of comics published or comics sold to Hasbro. If that company publishes more G.I. Joe comics, they can pay down the flat fee faster. But mm, yeah. if they publish fewer books and that book, those books or that book sell more, then you know the percentage that they're paying in total, I don't mean as a as a ratio, uh, is smaller because they're publishing less. So and and it'll depend on which publisher gets it, because you know. Certain publishers, like, you know, maybe a comparison right now is what Marvel is doing with Star Wars and Aliens and upcoming Predator. Marvel, when they grabbed Star Wars from Dark Horse a couple years back, there was immediately a main Star Wars book and a Darth Vader book. And then there were some additional miniseries, right? And with Aliens, uh, initially there was just one book a year ago or two years ago and it took i think a year for there to be uh, a side miniseries and i'm trying to remember if that actually took the place of the main one right similarly with predator right the first issue isn't out yet but as far as i know there's only one predator book it's not like 
the main Predator book and then Predator Savage Tales miniseries and then like Predator 1950, you know, mm. like a, a second series. And so comics, the comics business is different in 2023 than it was when IDW started the Joe license. Mm-hmm. And I think the Joe license, it made a lot of sense to start with three books, but not quickly, but eventually three books started to be too much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the I mean, the Aliens and Predator examples, I mean, those comics have been going a long time in mostly on on dark horse and i guess the tradition there is miniseries with rotating art teams so so it's kind of it's slightly different to kind of the other books that you might have like um like maybe conan so they went for a a sort of ongoing conan didn't they when they got back the license but then they were also sort of spreading out into some other miniseries and but with all of these licenses coming back to marvel um, what they very quickly did was they got out some nice chunky omnibuses collecting the the back matter. So if you think about the number of omnibuses that have come out for for Conan, for example, so um, you know, and, one... and not just not just the hardcover omnibuses, but also the soft cover epic collections. Mm. So so what what we might see is that when it when the license lands somewhere else, there might be a fairly speedy taking advantage of the opportunity of, of the opportunity to to just get books out there without creating new content is to, to have some maybe some collected material of the the back matter and given that the a lot of this stuff has gone out of print particularly the the, the sort of marvel some of the marvel volumes can be quite hard to find that uh, there, there'll probably be a fair fair demand for that yeah again i, I go back and forth on that because you know, for several years, when I would look up in the Diamond catalog online, all of the quote classic GI Joe volumes that that you know were ten issues at a time of the Marvel run that IDW had in print um, for many years, they were all available. And a couple times, like Volume One was between printings, and then it came back uh, into availability. And I think you and I are very aware of. A couple people we know or see online who say something like classic volume seven or whatever it is, isn't available. That's the one I need. Oh, if only they'd print that again. And I think part of what IDW has been responding to in the last five years in doing volume one again, but letting other ones go out of print is sales velocity. And I don't know the numbers, but you know, a a $25 graphic novel collection like that is going to, they're going to print, I don't know, a thousand copies. 4,000 copies, you know, the, the regular, the regular comics uh, are 7,000 copies. And then a lot of Marvel and DC comics right now are selling, you know, between 10,000 copies and 60,000 copies a month. Uh, The graphic novels, that's a different thing and they don't sell as fast. And so if IDW, if it took them several years to sell down all their copies of, let's say classic G.I. Joe volume seven, Separate from them, maybe thinking they were going to lose the license at the end of 2022, separate from that. But, you know, a year or two ago, it might have, they might have done their math and thought, well, if we print another thousand copies or 4,000 copies, uh, yes, a, a very small vocal minority of fans or stores that are asking for this will get it. But does that mean we're going to sell 23 copies? And then very, very slowly we sit on the other you know, 940 or 3,940. And so I, 
you know, the next publisher isn't getting sales data from IDW, I'm sure. But on the one hand, yes, you can make a big splash with reprints or reprints in, in formats we haven't seen before. You know, mm. IDW did the hardcover um, complete collections and they tried the, um, the omnibuses, which for IDW are smaller, like the Dark Horse omnibuses of mm-hmm. like 2010. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and or Digest, yeah. Yeah, more like digest, larger than a digest, smaller than a standard trade paperback, and each containing what, like fifteen to twenty comics. And uh, you know, they did an omnibus for GI Joe Origins. There was the whole run in two volumes, and they did a GI Joe omnibus of the first, I don't know, fifteen or so issues of Marvel. And then they might have done one for the main Chuck Dixon book, but they didn't go further with that. And so the next publisher. You know, I'd, maybe it makes sense for them to just sort of pick up what IDW was doing with the classic paperbacks at $25 and just change the IDW name to the new publisher name and just sort of continue to replicate those. Maybe it would be a different format, like, quote, epic collections like Marvel, these 500-page paperbacks at a standard mm. trim, or, you know, 600 to 1300 page hardcover omnibuy like marvel does at 100 or 125 dollars each a, a new format might grab different attention yeah but yeah for sure but to some extent if the joe fandom that buys comics isn't as big as it was in the 80s and the next publisher rolls out a bunch of reprints will they sell or will they sell with a significant sales velocity that is that is the cheaper way to exploit the license than to hire writers and artists to make new material. But we may be at a saturation point with some of those things, the reprints. Interesting. Yeah. I think, yeah, my suspicion would be if they mix it up enough to make a, a big Marvel style omnibus or, or epic collection that, that you'll get. There's demand there, including people who are prepared to double dip for, for that sort of extra collection, mm. particularly if, if there's there's enough interesting things that make it make it different. My, my final thought, and we should probably then talk about issue 294, uh, and I, I, I would like to write a blog post about this later in the year. IDW's reproduction on the first 50 issues of Marvel G.I. Joe is great because those files had been prepared before IDW got the license. Digital Chameleon, which people know as a coloring studio, did that work in 2001, 2002. I do not like the reproduction that IDW has done on issues 60 through 155. And I don't like it for special missions and I don't like it for the yearbooks. It looks like to me that IDW scanned printed comic books, stripped the color, and then uh, when I say recolor, I don't mean with new modern colors, changing the colors. I mean recreating the original colors, but with with computer printing, which is how things are printed now. And IDW's reprint department had a budget every time it rolled out the next volume of classic G.I. Joe, volume six, volume seven. And, you know, files got lost or original artwork isn't as accessible as it once was. But whoever has the license for next year... They can do a different job and their reproduction of issues 60, excuse me, 51 through 155, plus all the special missions, um, can be superior. Uh, the, 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 the black plate, the actual like, line work is a little crunchy in 
almost all of the IDW reprints, which is why, though we have them at my store, I'm I'm torn on carrying them. Comic talk, oh, comic talk. Larry Hammer writes them, Tim and Mark discuss them, whoa. Comic talk, oh, comic talk. Larry Hammer writes them, Tim and Mark discuss them, whoa. Okay, let's get on into issue 294, released just this week at time of recording on 29th of June. So the creative team asked the standard team that we have been used to the last few issues. Writer, as always, Larry Hammer, artist, SL Gallant, inks, Maria Keane, colours, Jay Brown, letters, Neil Utaki, group editor, Tom Waltz, and research specialist, Diana Davis. Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. Cover A is the uh, fourth of five by Freddie Williams II uh, with color by Fariza Kamaputra. And uh, this one works pretty well by itself. Uh, Destro and Zorana, their giant heads and shoulders loom large in the background. Shipwreck, Duke, Jinx, someone. Shooter, maybe. Uh, Shooter was black. Mm. This this woman is has light has light skin. Yeah, who is that? Uh, it's the person between Jinx and Gung Ho. Hmm. Is that Mayday from the Devil's Do Run? I very much doubt it. She does look like that character: brown hair, sort of a bluish grayish costume. Because mm. I, th- I think I think I asked before about a similar looking character on the the last set of uh, covers. Because I think there was a character that was meant to be Shooter that appeared on that last set of covers. Really? Yeah. Not the last set in front uh, of the Statue of Liberty. It was the previous one. What's the number? It's 285. Just to the left of Gung Ho, there was a character that I think we talked about uh, at the time as well. Fairly nondescript. And I think that was meant to be Shooter. Oh. Hmm. Well, this does look like that person, mm-hmm. but isn't it? Isn't Shooter black? Again, well, again, the colors not quite so clear on that one, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Lighting, let's Jimmy. call it. Let's let's call it somewhat Jimmy. reflective lighting. Shoot. Okay, so the action figure. Yeah, she came in a three pack with. Um, is that not true? Yeah, she came in a three pack. It was the fiftieth around then. She comes with uh, Night Force Falcon and Night Force huh. Outback in the twenty fifth anniversary body. I don't think I ever realized that that figure existed. Uh, there's a yeah, there's a collector's club cover. Jojo classified was that the miniseries or was it? It was declassified. Uh, declassified. There's a. I've just found a cover that ah, so it looks like the shooter as appears on the collector's club issue, October 2016. Who is Jody Shooter Craig, and the accompanying I guess figure that 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 was kind of trying to spotlight the GI Joe 50th anniversary shooter sort of a one of the the same and a sort of a you know dark costume and that figure does come with that kind of si- same silenced pistol that appears on the front cover that we were looking at so yeah it does i think my conclusion would be that it would be shooter but uh yeah with with sort of not quite hitting the uh the right color tones on the skin or the costume because the whole idea behind the three issue devils do declassified miniseries was that this was a mission before issue one where they're all in green and i'm looking at a page from declassified issue three 
with Shooter and she's got that, she's got this costume, but it's green. Mm. So the, the person on the cover to 294 cover A, the costume is a, a very, very light blue. That's why it to me looks like the, the Devils do Mayday. Mm. Mm. Anyway, uh, it's, a, it's a nice cover. Um, and then uh, cover B, which is my preference because this mm-hmm. does depict the issue to some extent. Uh, it's divided in half. There's a black background on the top half of the cover. Uh, Snake Eyes as Don Marino in costume with a machine gun and a sword in a in an exciting legs splayed, getting ready to attack pose. And then as a mirror image of the pose, as if the bottom half of the cover is a sort of reflection in a puddle, is the original Snake Eyes version two costume uh, with Uzi and sword. And the bottom half of the cover is, it's not a lake or a puddle, it is a white circle sort of spotlight with the Arashikage uh, logo. And uh, Dawn is on the top half is colored sort of normal, but like nighttime with blues. And then on the bottom, uh, Snake Eyes is uh, just, he's all black, but anything that would be gray or silver is knocked out in red. And uh, I was wondering, is this the first time or it's certainly one of the few times we've seen uh, SL Gallant draw Snake Eyes version two? specifically oh. hmm good question yeah you know we've seen some flashbacks and you know we i mean there was that whole bit where throwdown snake eyes sean got a new costume but that's you know that is a snake eyes costume but that's not specifically version two um, yeah i mean earlier earlier on in the idw run i think snake eyes was yeah snake eyes was kind of going around in his version two costume so if you think about the likes of cover issue 170 where he's in that dojo sort of kneeling in front of a sword with ninjas behind him that's the the version two so yeah Mm -hmm. i think i think he must have he must have drawn him a a fair bit while while he was using that costume again yeah sl galant sort of had a a, quite quite often a preference for for drawing characters in like their most classic iconic kind of costumes and and because they weren't promoting the toys they had a bit more leeway to to choose which costume they decided to kind of feature and then uh cover ri retailer incentive stores had to order uh 10 copies for every 10 copies of covers a and b combined a comic book store ordered they were allowed to order one copy of this one in 10 retailer incentive cover and it's got sherlock lunging uh with a pistol shooting at uh two cobras and behind her is a big American flag and she's got her metal arm up and she's using it to deflect some bullets. And uh, the color in this, uh, oh, this is, this is John Royal and uh, Jagish Kumar with colors by James Afraidy. Um The background color is a little unusual in that it's, it's sort of orange and yellow and green and brown. And so it it's it is evocative without being specific, you know. It, it I get the sense that this is somewhere, but I don't quite know. You know, mm. jungle field. You know, nighttime, daytime is the is the sky blotted out by fiery smoke everywhere. Uh, but that's that's not a weakness. That's just it's just evocative. I like this. I like this drawing a lot. I like I like Sherlock as a as a character. I like this pose. Um, I really do like the color on this cover, but. 
uh, as as per usual, since it has nothing to do with the issue, it, it's a it's not a good fit for me because you know it should it should be one of the it should be Scarlet, and it doesn't have to have casino stuff, you know, or it should be Jinx or it should be Helix because they're in the issue. It could even be Rock and Roll, who's in one panel. <laughs> It was. It's quite evocative of a almost superhero pose. I thought yeah, that she. Yeah. It's almost like she's sort of flying, and with the bullets bouncing off her arm, that's kind of a bit like Superman, you know, pinging those bullets off of his his chest. So it's a bit unusual from from that kind of perspective. Yes, it is much more. Good point. It's much more of a superhero cover than we tend to see on GI Joe. Um, there is this little reminder for me that there's a funny redundancy in sherlock's costume where her hat says police federal agent and her armor says police federal agent Mm. and i'm okay with cobra commander having a cobra symbol on his forehead and a cobra symbol on his chest um but you know if uh if law had a big mp armband and a giant (laughs) like mp on his shirt and a giant mp on his on his helmet it might be too much yeah, it, maybe maybe that cap needs a logo on it rather than uh, the same wording uh, multiple times. And uh, yeah. yeah, let's just call out uh, John Royal back on covers. Uh, his next few are kind of lined up in the previews as well. So, uh, you know, after a long run, he's had a few issues off and but back again. But uh, always, always nice to see a Royal cover because it does make for a very dynamic image. In the service section of the Cobra Casino, Dawn and Helix take down a rampaging casino bot, but then stumble into a whole room full of them. Alpha 000001 activates the sleeper bots with a kill on sight order. Dawn and Helix escape onto the casino floor, expecting the bots will not attack them in front of the guests. They then head back to their room to gear up, battling another bot on the way. Meanwhile, Jinx is still stuck in Mindbender's lab, where everyone's favourite dentist observes that Genghis Khan's personality is taking over in his latest Serpentor project. Helix and Dawn reunite with Scarlet and Snake Eyes and do battle with the reinforced platoon of casino bots in the hotel corridor. A Techno Viper alerts Mindbender to the bellhop bat situation and the quandary that security alarms have been suppressed. They find the footage of the corridor fight. Mindbender spots Snake Eyes and gleefully instructs Laura to recapture him so he can be plugged into the scanner to be reprogrammed in his latest scheme. You can count on me, Dr. Mindbender, she says with determination. To be continued. So, talking points. Uh, before We would normally get straight into the like our high-level takeaways and, uh, and such. Um, and I found myself getting a little bit of a moaning mini vibe going on, finding the negative. Um, so I decided uh, to start things positive and to remind myself to be positive. I actually even made a song about it. Well, I done read a heck of a lot of comics. Some of them are great. The team are all on it. But some are a bit cack They really are whack Before the nitpicks come out I'll giving it my bestest And nothing's gonna stop me From trying to be positive So I'll pause my scorn 
to put up two thumbs and turn my frown upside down. Take advice, it cannot wait. Say something nice. So heartfelt. Uh, for listeners who only listen to the episodes with Mark and I talking about the Hama series, uh, you may not know that I can get pretty grumpy about the Devil's Due issues of G.I. Joe. And when Mark unveiled this new jingle uh, to me, I thought, well, that's definitely for our Devil's Due episodes with our co-host, Jay Cordray. I don't know that it'll convince me to behave differently when we record. <laughs> Um, I'm curious what uh, what moaning mini stuff was jumping out at you. So, I, so you got like me. It. You got me moaning it straight away, Tim. That's the whole point of the jingle. Is we're going to be going okay. to be positive. So right. well, I'm going to start with my positives. Okay, you start you, with your positive, and then I'll start with my positive. So my my positive was that the gallant is often sort of not taking the easy option in some of the the pay the the sort of the drawings that he's been doing, and there's some quite cool sort of shots that hit that he you know. He's working hard and he's working against a deadline, so so he's sort of get, you know getting through these pages, but he's still investing the time to to make them pop and int- introduce some extra fun things. So so a couple of things that I noticed uh, was this panel in uh, Mindbender's lab where he's looking at Genghis Khan, where you know Genghis has got this beard that's grown and he's uh, talking about the personality sort of being dominant, and and we're sort of looking through the the back to tank as we've been calling it in the green and getting all of this great distortion of of mind bender and his moustache and, and Laura in the in the background there. So I enjoyed seeing that little detail uh, coming through in the art. And on a similar note uh, later on when uh, Helix is looking through the little what would you call it the peepee hole on the hotel door is there a name for that? Peephole. Peephole, yeah. Uh, the the people on the hotel door uh, and sh- and she sees all of these bellhop bats sort of with the fisheye c- kind of curvature on them as they're kind of coming towards the the door. I thought that was a a great little touch that, that sort of made that a fun sequence. And my my other sort of positive, uh, which which I'm sure we'll want to expand on, is that there's a lot of big action sequences in in this and compared to some of the other issues that we've had more recently, that there seems like there's a lot of big extended action and fight sequences. And those have been done sort of very dynamically and uh, just, yeah, quite cool. So that's me in my positive nutshell. What about you, Tim? I'm going to reiterate one of your positive nutshell pieces of nut. (laughs) Shannon Gallant is great at fight choreography and i i selfishly want him to stay on gi joe because he always does such a great job and this is a book that needs someone of his caliber of his skill but you know separate from the sort of the range of old-fashioned to modern and and hotness of his style any editor at any publisher who has a lot of action superhero uh, grounded horror fight book would be lucky 
to get an artist who can pose a variety of characters in a busy page, right? These pages tend to have five or six panels. And I mean, just just let me just rattle off some descriptions of poses, right? Uh, page two, Helix is on her side, getting ready to to sort of scissor her her ankles past each other to trip up this mm. killer robot while the killer robot is lunging forward, bending down the way that a marathon runner or a, a sprint mm. runner uh, leans forward. So their head crosses the finish line a little faster, but having swung its arms backward with, with swords pointing out while Jinx is up in the air with her knees tucked up under her, almost under her chin, you know, then I jump to, a couple pages later and this fire breathing killer robot in a sort of battle stance and then down the hall in the distance jinx uh with her um you know her her torso twisted to the right her arms sort of out caution at the ready her feet uh her her ankles uh splayed and then in the next panel we're looking down from the ceiling and gallant does this a lot where he puts an element in the extreme foreground to create depth. So he's not just drawing a character five feet away from us and then a wall six feet away from us, right? This panel on page one, two, three, four, panel two, we're looking down past uh, this sort of horizontal ceiling girder pipe, right? So that Helix can shoot the sprinkler system or, or just a pipe, right? We're looking down. Um, Gallant is constantly swinging his camera around high medium low he's got his poses are all exciting and dynamic uh, he's not repeating poses and he's not using like stock poses i mean there are there are artists who draw really sexy hot detailed dynamic comics who cannot pull off a fight scene as interesting as this mm. and gallant is also uh, the, like a good example is the first panel of page three, where we're now looking past Helix with the pistol. We can't see Helix's head because of the hat. The water's pouring down, and then in the dis in the in the middle ground is is the killer robot, and then in the distance, all the way in the top corner of the panel is uh, Jinx, and Jinx has now jumped down and landed on the ground. This whole panel is it's sort of it's acting like a diagonal panel, right? Because the window that we're looking into to see this reality is a rectangle, right? But the whole uh, angle of what we're seeing is at a diagonal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this is what the G.I. Joe comic book requires. And this is what readers, I think, whether they realize it or not, want someone who can pull this off. And it's, it is dynamic and exciting and all of the acting is great, you know, and then uh, another two pages later, when we're uh, the big sort of two thirds splash panel reveal of the, the big corridor, the big room with all of the killer robots and all of their sort of Borg stasis pods. Mm. And then the sort of like Terminator moment where they all turn on, <laughs> right? Whirr, the sound effect is W-H-I-R-R-R-R-R-R-R, whirr. And there are two hands in the foreground uh, that are colored sort of a brown, orange, purple to show that that's Jinx and Helix sort of reacting in surprise, mm -hmm. right? And then this final panel where Jinx says, oh, and she has her sort of index finger to her chin like she's thinking, and Helix has her four fingers up to her lower lip as if she's 
a little concerned, right? That is not a boring panel. It's not a flashy panel, but Jinx is leaning forward. Stone. Stone. Uh, so, thank you. Right. Have, been, have I been saying Jinx? Right. Jinx is back. Sorry, I'm not Jinx too is sure back in... how long through this you've been saying Jinx. <laughs> Jinx is, excuse me, everyone. Jinx is back in, this is, why, this is why I want the Joes in their costumes. The person in red is Jinx. Uh, Jinx is back in Mindbender's lab overhearing Mindbender and Laura's conversation. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and thank you. Dawn is in here fighting with Helix against the killer robot. And then Dawn and Helix stumble onto the big corridor of many, many killer robots. So in this final panel on page four, five, six, seven, Dawn says, Ulp, and is leaning forward with her finger at her chin. And Helix is also like leaning sort of over toward us, the, the reader of the camera, with one hand up and one arm down. They're both twisting their spines. Uh, the camera is at four feet looking up at them, right? That is not a boring panel. And a lot of artists would draw that as a boring, flat panel. Mm, very good, Tim. So now, after all of that positivity, uh, shall I get into my negativity? Yeah. So so I think my my negativity is coming from a place and a frustration that maybe the plot is just not quite moving forward fast enough because I want to know what happens next. And if I already had the next issue in hand or was reading this in a trade paperback, then maybe I might enjoy it more because I, I would know that I wouldn't have to to wait. And that, and that sort, sort of sense of it maybe not moving forward quite as fast as I'd like is, is sort of born, I guess, as, as well as a sense of deja vu. I mentioned deja vu last time as well and and just to give you a kind of a flavor of where why i'm feeling that we've got dawn and helix fighting casino bots again um as happened in a previous issue but also in in sort of the cliffhanger to the last one dawn is still in mind at bender's lab waiting for a diversion as was the case last issue laura and mindbender are still in mindbender's lab talking about the serpentor project and the need to capture snake eyes as has happened across all of the last four issues and uh, scarlet and sean are still on the roof with the aircon units as happened last issue and maybe you know it's it's mean to nitpick any one of those those things but sort of combined together it just feels uh, there's just a sense of too much of a kind of a retread and, and sort of just not propelling us quickly enough as as i'd like to to find out the next big thing in the story does that kind of sound fair to you yeah and i, I don't think referring to any one of these four or five story elements that hasn't changed much in an issue or four i don't think it's nitpicking i think it's commenting you know nitpicking is me saying i wish the the center piece of the sunglasses that jinx and helix are wearing the thing that actually sits on the bridge of your nose that connects the two things that are in front of your eyeballs that line is is rarely inked in this issue that's a nitpick but mm. uh saying that you know this is now the third issue in five issues where two of the joes are fighting a killer robot and i i think that is a fair criticism i'm not keeping the current issues sort of in my brain in my data banks as as much as you are and i'm not skimming or rereading the last issue or a couple issues ago right before i read the new issue i mean you know i i, I love gi joe and i want to you know marinate in it and think about it and study it so that i can make comparisons but 
you know, I only have so much time to read comics. There's so many comics to read. So <laughs> I tend to read an issue of so G.I. Joe many. and take notes and then move on. And so I'm not remembering, you know, in our previous episode, you pointed out the redundancy that Dawn and Helix had fought one of these robots just a few issues earlier. And I had already forgotten that. And that that's that's my that's my deficiency as a as a G.I. Joe comics podcaster. But I don't mind so much that this stuff is moving slowly or repeating in and of itself. What is worrisome to me is that there are so few issues left and mm. I, I, each of these issues needs to really count. And, you know, no one's ever going to do this, but I feel like when a series as complex as this is given only a few issues to wrap up, I feel like, no, 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 it's, it's not the final issue that should be double-sized. It's all of the final issues that should be double-sized. <laughs> and I think of, I'm trying to remember some, I think there were some examples at Marvel in the 2000s. I think there were some issues of The Ultimates or The Ultimates 2 uh, by uh, Mark Millar and Brian Hitch. And there were some other comics along the way where the art writer and artist would their story would get a little bigger and they would ask editorial for an extra page or two mm-hmm. and editorial would say yes. And sometimes that meant they would drop a letters page. And sometimes that meant that they would drop, I think an in-house ad for some other Marvel book, or maybe, uh, you know, some ad for candy or some movie, uh, which means less revenue. And I'm not talking about double sized issues or oversized issues where it's announced ahead of time. I mean, you know, you're paying for a 22 page comic and you get a 23 page comic. You get 23 pages, you know, seven pages of ads, not eight. And when I have been reading these issues, particularly with no letters page, I thought, uh, I wish someone would ask. I wish Hama or the artist would say to the editor, uh, can we have an extra page? And then, you know, the editor would say, well, let me check my budget. Like, well, uh, okay, we, we can't do this every other issue. Mm. In an episode that you might not have heard yet, uh, dear listeners, uh, Chiefy Two Shoes, who founded this very podcast, and I and Mark were talking about Cobra stuff. This is our special Cobra Convergence episode, which will be the episode airing after this one. And at the end of it, he asked Mark and I what our predictions for issue 300 were. And I'm certain I will like issue 300, but I already know it's not going to be long enough for my tastes. I think it needs to be triple sized. And, you know, IDW is definitely not going to do a, you know, a, a, one of these 100 page comics that's stapled or one of their sort of spiral bound double or triple sized issues the way that the uh, was the, the 2012 G.I. Joe annual was with the Crimson Guardsmen marching mm. on the front. Mm-hmm. But I want, you know, I want a big fight and a lot of resolution, even if Hama has already promised us on Facebook that there'll be some cliffhanger. So my overall takeaway for this issue was the action is great. Uh, I was having some nagging in the back of my mind that Jinx is still hiding in the lab and Mindbender and Laura are still talking about Serpentor. But this issue made up for the last issue being such a fast read and such a sort of transition issue. But I wish we could take the couple of pages of the tourists getting to Cobra Island from the last issue, and then the Joes doing their recon with the air conditioning and their disguises, you know, with hats and and sunglasses, and this fight. 
Mm-hmm. That, conden- that the, condense the, it down. Yeah, that the that the. I mean, I, I like how big this fight was with the robots. This sort of half this issue was this fight, which which was really satisfying. And I don't want it to be shorter. But what if the previous issue, instead of having three pages of setup, for the robot <laughs> less, showdown, less jitney. And then the was the final page of the last issue, sort of a full page of the robot breathing fire and the two Joes saying, uh-oh, right? Something so like take, that, yeah. Take that out. Because, you know, that's not all that different from the first page of this issue, which is yeah, a fire-breathing yeah, yeah. robot attacking these two Joes. It's a, a cliffhanger you know. for the beginning of this issue. Yeah. yeah and last, and and last time you said, ooh, next issue, you know, maybe it's going to be aftermath of the fight or maybe it's going to be bang straight into the fight. And either of those things will be good. Yes, and in fact, we we didn't quite rewind 20 seconds for the first page of this issue to the last issue, but effectively. So in and of itself, I like this issue a lot. But yes, in a run of issues, uh, it really needed to... Last issue needed to be double-sized. Half of it and half of this needed to be sort of dropped and mushed together. Mm. I thought, yeah, I, I did like the action in, in this scene. I thought uh, in this issue, it was it was done... Well, there was a big uh, opening fight, as you say, great fight fight choreography. And the issue did begin with a single page splash. Ideally, it would have had the, the name of the story and the little creator box down there as well. But I do love uh, an opening splash as a first page. <laughs> so uh, I had some observations about some of the stuff that happens in this in this fighting we want to sort of get into into some of that yeah so uh we had a lot of the like the armored faceplate played a big part of the choreography and sort of having a weakness of uh in the robot so uh going into target acquisition and it's popping up and they're trying to you know get a hit in there and then it's popping back down again before shooting her in the face that great (laughs) so what did you um what do you think of that as a, a a storytelling tool storytelling device for for kind of the uh the bot i liked it and also it was in keeping with 50 issues ago when the joes were fighting the blue ninjas and found that the heads were the weak mm-hmm. point yeah just just when they're leaning their heads back sort of just getting in the in the neck and stuff. I, was, I was a little bit disappointed in that fight that um there wasn't really much again about helix's mum's fighting style do you remember in that that previous issue, when the last time they'd encountered this casino bot, uh, Betty, the casino bot, um, Helix noticed that um, somehow they 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 knew her mum's uh, sort of fighting style. So so they've not yet properly followed up with that. That's the cliffhanger for issue three hundred. That uh, the the head blue ninja is actually Helix's <gasps> mom. <gasps> Tim. Um, Damn, what are you want to hear? Going back to you liking and also me liking the the fight choreography, the the bit where they they start fighting in the elevator, that's great. Mm. That you know, for a second I thought, oh no, now the Joes are backed into a corner because they're in this really small space and this, this sharp, <laughs> dangerous robot that can move fast and is armored. And maybe it can't shoot fire anymore because it got doused, or maybe we're just sort of moving past that. But uh, this, that the Joes, the two Joes dispatch the robot. Uh, then what? Slam it hard, done. Thump, right? What the, says the, 
a civilian on the outside of, <laughs> of the elevator doors, which have just closed. And this sword sticks through the elevator door, sticking out at him. And then the elevator goes up and then the sword goes up. And then on the next page, the robot's arm gets torn off as the the sword sort of hits the horizontal structure that separates one floor to the next. That's really fun. And then similarly, this sort of smartness, you know, like I would never write a, a great fight choreography scene in a comic. You know, I've, I've never, I've never really tried, but I would need to do five or 10 to get sort of to a modicum of interest and satisfaction for the reader. And this bit here where the elevator has moved up, the robot's arm has been torn off. And then right the moment later, uh, Jinx, excuse me. Dawn. <laughs> Dawn. Uh, I'm so sorry, listeners. Uh, Dawn punches the light in the ceiling of the elevator, right? Lights out. Let's see if it can target in the dark. But it's doing that so that the so that the, the robot has to raise up its, you know, fake eyes so that there's this and then she can shoot it point blank in the face with her pistol right like that's great mm. um and and again just going back to how exciting a page is to look at um this page where they get to the where they're inside the elevator page 13 right one two it's six panels and the, the panel two uh, I guess technically it's five panels. One, two, three, four, five. It's five panels acting as six panels. Um, panel two, where Helix is grabbing, finishing grabbing her pistol and saying, then what? And the robot is swinging upward and matching the diagonal of the sort of speed lines of the background color and sort of the the your eyes follow a Z shape. When, when you read panels one to two to three, which is a, a, a traditional comics device that you don't always have to do, but it, it can be nice. But, you know, Dawn up in the air on the top right and then coming back down with the white background. And then this the, the poses in this page are great. And if you want to practice drawing comics, just look at this page. Don't worry about whether it's G.I. Joe or not. Don't worry about whether you're drawing G.I. Joe or not, or G.I. Joe fan art, or G.I. Joe fan fiction, or recreating a G.I. Joe page. Just forget G.I. Joe. This is three people having a fight in an elevator. And just sketch out very quickly, if you want to practice drawing, uh, the perspective of the backgrounds, right? The floor plane, the wall planes, and the ceiling plane, and the actual poses of these characters, right? And you will realize how much work Gallant is doing in keeping this interesting and in moving it along. Yeah, imagine draw, drawing a fight in, a, in, a, in an elevator is not necessarily something that a, a an artist who is not confident would uh, like to to hear. Yeah, uh, the one that we were talking about uh, that they fought, fought in the elevator that was a um, kind of uh, a plant tending bot. So, so b- immediately before they start fighting her, she's um filling up a, a vase with uh or vase as I'd say, say uh, with some like red roses, and then sort of over her shoulder, she's noticing Helix and Dawn uh, walking past, and then that sort of leads to to her. Um, yeah, you're talking about the middle panel of page. Yeah, 12. yeah. So nice, nice subtle detail that I hadn't really picked up on uh, in um, on my and, first reading. 
And that that may be in Hama's plot, but we know that Gallant spends time mm. with even even the less exciting acting poses, you know? Like that the the panel you're talking about, panel three on page twelve, there are three different Cobra Casino actual blue ninja robots. Mm. One on the far left, one in the middle, tending two roses, and one on the far right. And they're all looking at the two women mm. Joes. And then what does Gallant do, right? He also has two casino goers posing for a selfie. And then he's got different, they're, they're relatively similar, but different acting and body language for the two Joes, right? They're looking at each other. So one's facing left, one's facing right. Uh, their hands are up, their arms are up in different ways, even though both are sort of the like shorthand for like, what do you mean? Let me explain. Mm-hmm. Let's go over here. There's a another casino goer in a, a red cap with a, like a, a to-go coffee cup. There's a little trash can under the elevator, uh, up-down button. There's some kind of like no smoking sign above that. Uh, there's a second set of flowers on a, a push cart that presumably is what the robot you're referring to is drawing from. And then in the background on the left, there are uh, slot machines with another with a fourth robot that is looking uh-huh. in this direction. And then way in the distance, there's someone at those uh let's say video slot machines right that's a huge amount of information for the least interesting panel in this issue in terms of in terms <laughs> yeah, of yeah, yeah. sort of the reader i don't mean in terms of story right like this panel is hugely important because they're watching them mm. they all see them right that's when it gets fun and and the stakes go up ha stake that's when the stakes get high you might say <laughs> that's when and that's when it sort of gets, uh, you know, creepy, you know, oh, no, they're all watching us. We're not going to get out of here. You know, there there, there are artists who might draw G.I. Joe stories that take place in the snowy mountains and in ancient tombs. And all they have to draw are a couple lines to separate sky and snow. And the colorists can do all the work and uh, the catacombs or the, the tunnel under the snowy mountains just a couple of lines, and then the colorist can do all the work to make the background texture stone lit by torch or in shadow. Uh, or you could draw a page like this with a panel like this. And you get paid You get paid the same whether you mm-hmm. draw a panel with one, two, three, four, five, <laughs> six, seven, eight, nine, ten, six humans and four robots, and all of this casino stuff that, continu- that, that reinforces to the reader, we are in the casino. Right. Or just yeah, or you can get paid the same same for all of that, or just two talking heads with a blank background that gets knocked out in one color, <laughs> or sort of something something in the middle, yeah. right? Yeah, like yeah. let's say let's say we sort of cropped out the left third. Mm-hmm. Let's say you just sort of had the flowers, the robot tending to them, but looking at the Joes. You didn't draw the other flowers and the tray, the, the cart, because you don't need that, but it definitely helps. You know, one elevator, not two. You drop out the other guy, you drop out the other robot, right? You could go halfway and it's still, it would still be helpful and do some work. And so when Gallant reinforces where they are, it's like they're no longer in the, not, not the sewer, right? Where were, where were they? Where did, where the uh, fight happen in the first the, couple of pages? They were like on, what did we call it? Um, like a, a service tunnel. Okay. And, and then they went out onto the main floor, main so, casino floor. So Gallant very clearly turned to page one 
dear listener, Gallant lays out everything you need in the background of page one. There are puddles on the ground, there are pipes in the ceiling, there are pipes in the walls, there's a electrical breaker box on the wall. And a video camera on the ceiling. Oh yeah, yeah. Which I'm going to guess is in Hama's plot. And this huh, this lays the groundwork so that Gallant doesn't have to draw any background for pages two and three. And that's okay. Mm. I mean, this issue was a rush job, and I'm sure he would have liked to do a little bit of background work for pages two and three, but it's not unclear. I'm not losing where we are. And and I get lost in some comic book fights when artists aren't pulling up their half of the the bargain. And then the first panel of page four, what does Gallant do? He reestablishes the background, right? They haven't teleported to the moon, right? Still that same service tunnel. So there's pipes. And there's that electrical uh, panel, which needs to be established so that Dawn can jump up and, and yank the cords from it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the, as, as, as these two Joes move from the access tunnel to the, so the you know, the Borg hallway with all of the, the rows of uh, evil casino robots, like all plugged into their stasis pods, right? And then as the and, and there's there's even a transition panel where these two Joes are, are going from that access tunnel through this doorway that says recharging and maintenance, right? And then the second panel, this this sort of two-thirds page splash panel where where we do see all of these women robots in these two rows against the walls, right? The two Joes are still coming out of that doorway. So Gallant doesn't draw that doorway once, he draws it twice. He doesn't draw the breaker box, he doesn't set it up once before. Um, Dawn uses it. He sets it up twice before Dawn uses it. And then when they transition from that lab to the sort of main casino floor, we see them going through a doorway that says a main casino floor. And that's not like hitting me over the head with it. That's not treating me as dumb. That's being clear. Mm-hmm. Whether or not the door's labeled, just the fact that they're going from that sort of lab with all the robots to and so here we are, right? On the on the first panel of page 10, what's on the far left? One and a half video slot machines with chairs and then some wall and the doorway, right? And Jay Brown separates the two, right? The color in that space that's deep with all the robots, that's blue. And then the color out here in the main casino floor is you know, yellow, beige. Uh, it, it is a rectangular panel, right? It's not like a parallelogram panel of like Wolverine or Ripclaw slashing from some X-Men or Cyberforce comic from 1994. But the the perspective of this panel is all skewed diagonally to add some urgency, to make it exciting, even though it's just two Joes, not, not sprinting, not fleeing, but very quickly getting out of that space and coming mm-hmm. through the doorway. So... You know, you draw comics, you establish where your characters are geographically, and then a panel or a page later, you got to reestablish it. And then if they go to the next place, you can't do it with just narration or dialogue, right? That's a problem or that's lazy. So you show them moving from one space to another. Yeah. And there's there's no, uh, with with the exception of when, when we cut to, to Revanche Robotics in New Jersey, in Hackensack, there isn't little caption boxes in the uh, corners of any of these things saying back in this location, but because the the background and the characters and the coloring all clearly establishes where we are. You know, there's green tubes. We're back in Mindbender's lab. Where you know, there's uh, purple 
you know, background with lots of wires and, and stuff. We're back in, you know, Revanche's HQ. It's sort of the more yellow lighting. You were back in the casino floor. There's HVAC units where we're on the on the roof. Uh there's outside. Yeah, I've sailed on the on the roof. There's there's um, glowing purple buildings. Uh, oh, and and foliage. We're in the in the jungle surrounding. You know, out out just outside the uh, casino. So yeah, very uh, well and comfortably done by by the the team, both in terms of art, you know, inks, pencils, and uh, and colors working to to get all together to all sort of pull to to sort of make it very clear that sense of place as we're sort of cutting between. Uh, scenes without needing to to sort of knock us over the head with extra caption boxes. And Hama does, in G.I. Joe, Marvel G.I. Joe and IDW G.I. Joe, he does, when we cut from scene to scene, have a, often on the top left, a very small caption box that says, you know, back in uh, Switzerland, you know, Cobra Island, back in Trusil Abysmia, and I never feel like that is lazy or cheating or making up for deficient art and storytelling i think that's just being extra clear when he forgets to doesn't even have to or the art is so i mean this in a good way dense and busy that he wouldn't want to as happens in this issue it's even better i i don't need i also wouldn't mind but i don't need like back in the jungle across from the hotel back (laughs) on the roof now i was beginning to, to to get to this then i got distracted by that that um lift sequence so um something that threw me a little bit or made me think that's a bit strange was at the end when you say lift you mean elevator right so elevator yeah um is lift is lift not something that you would use generally no not so much okay um so at the end of that initial fight with the uh with the, the bots uh with the missing head Thing with the smoke and the sparks and the oh yeah, you know, um, Helix says we'd best police up the brass and get out of dodge. And Dawn agrees. The fewer traces we leave behind, the better. We've probably been already picked up on by the security cameras. And there's a security camera up there on the ceiling, pointing down at them with a red flashing dot. Best to keep our hat brims low and boogie. So, is picking up their their sort of shell casings off of the floor is that that pressing given the amount of you know noise and explosions that uh, has, has been caused and you know they've got a robot sort of missing a head um that they're leaving in situ and they're on video seems a bit weird that that's high on their list of priorities i had the same thought uh, i'm going to allow it because uh it allows hama to include a what i think you would call a hamaism where they're picking up their shell casings, which is a uh, realistic military action, and and, and then therefore a GI Joe realistic action in a GI Joe story. And so it, it 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 lends some authenticity to this scene, even if in the moment they're actually too busy or they've blown their cover too much for it to be helpful. But I think they're being optimistic. I think maybe just that's what it is. Anything they <laughs> anything they can do to maintain their cover you know for another two minutes um in terms of the noise of fighting in an exploding robot head you know if you're in a concrete tunnel 10 feet over from the main casino floor we might not hear that you know these things are built to keep 
you know, the casino is going to have a, a, a big stage where like Cirque du Soleil or a rock band is going to perform or, you know, there's all this noise coming from the main casino floor and not that far away are the closest hotel rooms. So I don't know that there's extra sound insulation in this kind of building, but there is sound insulation. And and maybe because it's Cobra, there's extra sound insulation because this, these crazy labs are right there. You know, I don't know how loud it is to make a new Serpentor when you're, you know, 20 feet from the from some of the gambling equipment. Um, and, and another another sort of point of confusion for me, or just sort of maybe a pondering point for me, is that these bots are sort of upgraded in, in some ways. They've got all of these fighting capabilities um, that were sort of elaborated in previous issues. But in some other ways, they seem quite downgraded versus other bats or revanche robots that we've seen before in particularly around like there doesn't seem to be much of a a hive mind so they're they're sort of all operating autonomously but then sort of being directed from uh the center by by alpha uh, one um did you pick up that so like they they sort of there isn't that immediate kind of uh, awareness from one robot to the other of what's going on it's only when uh when the the revanche team picks up from the footage what's going on and then he then he wants to activate them and and send an order to them that they pick up on that and they you know have that alert find and destroy um kind of thing yes. coming to them that was a tickle in the back of my mind that i couldn't put my finger on after the two joes dispatched the one killer robot why the other killer robots didn't know immediately when i feel like we have seen that behavior with the blue ninjas. I'm going to no prize that away by saying with revanche infiltrating the Cobra casino, you know, this isn't a blue ninja. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's an upgrade, but it's, it still has to look like a human. It has to act like a human Mm -hmm. as much killing equipment as you can fit before it converts into its killer mode, you know, from cocktail waitress, you know, whereas with a blue ninja robot, it's it's already the killer robot mm-hmm. so maybe there's little there's less space for you know the the hardware that's going to connect it to the hive mind or maybe in making it you know infiltrating dr mindbender's order i don't i don't mean his i don't mean his sort of yeah maybe... well i mean i mean his purchase order uh sort of the best that the the what's what's the zero alpha zero zero one the best that it could do with what Mindbender had already started to build or had already taken delivery of or whatever was these autonomous killer cocktail waitress mm. robots that don't have the hive mind. Yeah, that they're sort of described as as sort of a special type of bat that that um Revanche have kind of upgraded for Cobra and and perhaps that 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 Revanche couldn't get away with having them uh, with a hive mind, but they could get away with kind of the monitoring and kind of backdoor o- overtaking their controls, which is is less, I guess, more of a background kind of spyware malware function that they've installed, but but less of a active at all time kind of uh, process that would be running if if they were a hive mind. There we go. Yeah. That's a good mo- That's a good no prize. <laughs> and this is a final. This is a final sort of quibble from me is dr mindbender just a little deluded in expecting laura to capture snake eyes given past experience so you know 
Snake Eyes is, you know, basically a super ninja, uh, undefeatable kind of character. Um, Laura did somehow catch him last time, but she also let him escape last time when she was uh, on sentry duty, trying to keep him uh, locked up and uh, got bamboozled by some finger nuts. Yeah, I was a little thrown by that third to last panel of the whole issue. I have complete faith in you, Laura. I know you're up to the challenge. You can do this, can't you? I know it's Mindbender's side project to capture Snake Eyes, right? Because it's, remind me, it's not Cobra Commander's goal to capture Snake Eyes, is it? Yeah, I don't think Cobra Commander knows about it. Yeah. Right, okay. So, but this this is, you know, I Hama has so many interesting one-of-a-kind Cobra agents at his disposal who aren't showing up and... You know, when they could show up in Snake Hunt, I feel like none of them did anything particular. Mm. You know, the road, the, the, the Dreadnoughts all showed up, but they all they were all there and they all kind of said and did the same thing. You know, there wasn't even really so, you know, Scrap Iron, uh, Major Blood, Copperhead, you know, even even later characters that Hama's not going to use, like, you know, Gristle or the Headman, you know, there should be. I mean, we, we have it in Laura. We have a unique character. And certainly in the legions of all these soldiers and vipers, it's interesting to take one, take their helmet off, give them something identifying like a scar, Scarface, or uh, an eye patch, Laura, uh, give them a name, you know, Fred the Seventh, and have them be particular and unique so that they're in charge of you know, a dozen or a hundred other soldiers or vipers. But it's a scene like this, and and in the previous issue where Cobra Commander shows up and interrupts Mindbender, where I really want to see Tomax and Zaymot, who are on the cover of the next issue, right? The, the five-part cover that doesn't have anything to do with the story, um, where there are other levels of hierarchy, command, and security. And I feel like Cobra Commander and Mindbender are doing the entire casino operation themselves with a bunch of bats and various kinds of vipers. And, you know, in, in an episode that our listeners may not have heard yet, uh, you refer to Voltar and all of the particular things he does in an issue or two of Special Missions and issue 92, where he's commanding this, you know, sub-contingent of cobra in a in a faraway land and that's because there was a new action figure and hama had to use that character and then later on hama stopped using that character and mindbender is definitely doing some mad scientist stuff here and i don't know he's smart enough to sort of manage the construction of a mad scientist lab and a casino then it's a real casino right it's a front but it's not cardboard they're not like flat stand-ups it's actual gaming machines but i really need to see one or two other characters here and you know i feel like this if this was in the 70s the issue 70s it would be zartan you know it's like you know laura zartan's gonna watch over you or zartan laura figure out a way to capture snake eyes and and then you can have some contrast or some or some conflict right because you know zartan would not trust Laura or he'd want to take revenge on snake eyes or, you know, Laura would, 
Um, I feel like it's it's too open. There's too much room for Laura to see Snake Eyes and immediately have her um, moral quandary. I'm going to let this guy go again. And and there isn't enough tension. And I have felt this way for a hundred issues that Hama uses Cobra Commander and Dr. Mindbender, but there isn't enough fun interaction with other Cobra agents. And and I, I really want someone here sort of in this scene or helping or hindering with the Snake Eyes, Serpentor, and Casino uh, stuff. And, you know, there's so many characters in G.I. Joe. I don't need much, like two panels with Tomax and Zamot managing yeah. some of the casino stuff with kind of a throwaway line of dialogue like well commander the next shipment of iron girders is here excellent begins construction on the south wing you know or or something funny it's like tomac zamot where have you been were you playing tennis again it's like of course commander we have to keep fit <laughs> right it's like um but where have they been where have you been tomac and zamot uh, haven't seen yeah. you so long uh do, do you remember the last time we saw them i don't know they must have cropped up in did they crop up in snake, in snake hunt, hunt at some point i don't remember, I don't remember. there um, was the I, um I, there was that big so. um what was the name of that big crossover where they had the the special immediately before it um cobra world order yes um i think back in cobra world order they they appeared at one point um but i've not i've not read that for a little while i have to go back and suspect i suspect it might have been then that we last saw them when there was a whole bunch of, you know, cool uh, cameos from across the various Cobra characters. But, um, Listeners, the, tell yeah. us how wrong we are. Um, what the, what the Tom Max and Zaymont did in Snake Hunt and all the other times they've been since, <laughs> since issue, since, uh, since Phil Jimenez's amazing connecting covers for like 223, 224, 225 with Tom Max and Zaymont. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of what I'm seeing here with Mindbender is Hama using his favorite characters and not using characters he doesn't want to use. But I also would like him to take the opportunity. You know, there are a bunch of Cobra agents who aren't dead and they're not. Uh, I, I will admit I have forgotten right now in the status quo of the the real american hero continuity where and how is major blood mm. yeah because i know that way back in 57 what's the what's the cover with the uh what's the cover with um uh lady jane flint and destro side by side with destro uh oh 57 is that when i haven't read these issues in a while is that when major blood is captured in Destro's castle for betraying someone. He he's pretending to be Destro to gain access to some plans, and then Destro comes back from being thought to be dead, and um, they end up in a bit of a fisticuffs on on the ground, and they're like, "Oh, who's the real Destro? I don't know." Okay, and then in issue ninety, one of my favorite issues because it's my first. I can't remember if Major Blood is there, but there's a scene on Broca Beach where the Cobra brass are, di- are divvying up the new hierarchy sort of in the post Serpentor post Cobra civil war. And I think, uh, Dorklon is there and I, maybe Voltar and Fred the seventh in the Cobra commander suit and Destro and the Baroness and Zartan. And I forget who, but it's, it's a, it's two pages of, of amazing Mark Bright 
and Randy Amerlin art. And I think Destra has a flowchart and he, he's saying, <laughs> you know, Zarana, you're going to be here. And so and so. I can't remember if Major Blood is in that scene. And the issue is down the hallway. I can't I grab it. I doubt that he was. He, I mean, he appears a few times since. There was that that issue where Snake Eyes goes is set into a into oh, a trance. And, and there's that cool cover with um, Major Blood looking yes. down the sniper rifle at Snake Eyes. <laughs> And yes, there's that uh, other more re- recent issue, 190, where Lady J is on her knees with sort of major blood behind her. You know, he's reaching for his pistol as if to to execute her. Yeah, it might might have been that that arc was the last time he had a significant amount of panel time. So, you know, I, I mean, I mean, we're talking a hundred issues ago now. Yeah, I mean, you know, you. There, there's never there's never a sort of a bad reason you know um copperhead drives a water vehicle and cobra island is surrounded by water so mm-hmm. copperhead could be doing i mean he's he's not command he just drives a vehicle and hama may think no 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 he he wouldn't be sort of helping with any of the managing of the construction but he has some reason to be there and you know, I, I I would like to see some specific Cobras adding to the the sort of s- the sense of scale of the whole construction on the island and then also Mindbender. And, uh, you know, like Hama's never going to use the interrogator, right? You, you remember that character? Yeah, yeah. So, the, you know, the figures from uh, 1991 and... He came with uh, one of those flying doohickeys backpack yeah things. he came with he came with a battle copter and i'm, I'm skimming his uh skimming his uh file card because this is around when i start to think that hama's not writing all the file cards it's past the shrouded mystery was he the notorious former head of security for a renegade just or an irs investigator yeah i think hama wrote this file card and you know he does a little bit what mindbender does and Hama, he may be off Hama's um, sort of radar because he's, quote, just a vehicle uh, driver. And, you know, he's 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 no one's favorite character. Sorry to the four of you out there. <laughs> but people aren't writing in letters to the comic saying, when we're going to see the interrogator. But he's, you um, know, still a cool character. Yeah. You know. and, and and you could take his helmet off and he could be an individual. Because the, the, the file card suggests that he is an individual it's not he's not like a viper and there are 50 or a thousand of him um Hmm. this is not because mindbender is doing too much it's because mindbender is being stretched too thin Hmm. i'm happy for mindbender to show up this much but you know for a lot of the a lot of the idw issues in the 86 issue run that shannon gallant did it felt like mindbender was there so cobra commander wasn't talking to himself and Mindbender is, you know, he's not in command and he's not, anyway. Uh, so that's, that's my, you know, I see these characters like uh, Zorana and Tom Max and Zamot on the cover A's of this arc. And it would be great to see them contributing to the story logic. Not just see them because I like them and I want to see them. You know, it's like, oh, well, I'll take variant covers for that. I'll take fan art for that. But, you know, where have they been? Very good. So I think we talked about all of the main things that I wanted to cover. What about you, Tim? 
yeah, there, there's a little detail I wanted to point out that I like, and uh, there are some great sound effects. Okay. Great sound effects written into the script. Great treatment of sound effects by letterer Neil Yutake. Let's talk about SFX, baby. Let's talk about pew and scream. Let's talk about shooting gun things and the sound effects. We'll see. Let's talk about SFX. Let's, Let's talk, talk about, about SFX. Fap, thwack, chack, blam, poosh, oh, excuse me, foosh, uh, weir, blam, I did blam already. This one's bigger. You know, all the all the fight stuff. Uh, kashrang, which is the sound of uh, a, a robot's arm being torn off in an elevator door <laughs> and closed with the elevator trying to move up to the next floor. And there's a bit that I really like on page, uh, page 16, Scarlet has previously referred to her and Throwdown heading back up by rope to their hotel room. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the page with the fisheye lens view panel of the peephole of the door. One, two, three, four. Panel four, Scarlet's coming back in the window and Throwdown is running and drawing his sword and pointing, right? It's great, right? This is comics. You can have a character doing three things at once. And there's a great detail of the couch in their hotel room having been flipped on its side. Its cushions are sort of falling off of it. And it's wedged sideways into the corner of the room. And the ropes that Scarlet and Throwdown have used to repel out of the hotel room are tied to the two of the legs Mm-hmm. of the of the couch and that is the you know heaviest thing i guess in the hotel room and they sort of wedged it so that it's not gonna get you know tugged mm. over i think that's that's a good bit of sort of logical prop mm. continuity um i did have a question they keep saying the words dawn and sean yeah and i thought part of the conceit of uh, snake hunt was that Cobra couldn't find out that the original Snake Eyes was dead. And so don't call him Sean. He's Snake Eyes. Mm. Right? On mission, he's Snake Eyes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, And Scarlet here says, get ready. I've loosed the Sean, which is is funny. And then Helix responds, so I'm loosing the Dawn on them. I'll mop up after her with my M4. Strap. Strack. Rap scree. Uh, I'm doing the same with Sean. They yell in front of a lot of security cameras and robots. Yeah. Who also um, got robot vision that is recording. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I do it too. I, I forget. I forget. You know, it's easier just to call her Dawn because. Well, her, yeah. Her, I think Dawn her... is okay because they know who Dawn is that, you know, Dawn used to work for Cobra I mean, they, and. They still shouldn't because she's she is a Joe on a top secret mission. They should yeah, call her. Yeah, yeah. They should call her code name. That's that's my that's my GI Joe code name, by the way. Code name. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, apart from calling her Snake Eyes, which sort of fell by the wayside, they don't really call her up anything apart from Dawn. So less concerned about Dawn, but specifically about Sean, where a key there's a very key plot point, which is that he is meant to be Snake Eyes, and when they are on missions, he should be called Snake Eyes. And they are on a mission in front of the enemy combatants and video cameras um, recording them. 
Uh, and in fact, doc, later on in the plot, Dr. Mindbender is watching one of those video playbacks and they are very loudly calling him Sean uh, is not great. Uh, I, in fact, the reason I hadn't called it out before is, is that I had it listed as a, an error detected because it's so egregious for me uh, that, the, yeah, shouldn't be doing that. Do you have other error detecteds? Should we... Should we come um, to that? I, I, I didn't have... That was my only error detected. My only other error detected note was that Hasbro are now in this issue only being thanked for their invaluable assistance once. <laughs> yes, that, that little that little typo on the inside front cover in the in four-point type in the Indusha has been fixed. I wanted to point out one more thing, which is in the larger category of me liking the storytelling of the issue and liking how... S.L. Gallant approaches this series and draws it. And that is page 18. Page 18 has Helix shooting a robot in the head, a robot about to attack Scarlet and she's out of ammo. Snake Eyes has a very cool moment, excuse me, Throwdown, Sean, has a very cool moment where he cuts that robot in half. And then two wordless panels where he takes the sword out and he, the way that he's doing it, you, you almost think that he's like flicking off the blue sort of blood liquid mm. oil from the robot before he then in the final panel resheaths his sword. And this page is a cool guy, awesome, hot moment page. And it does what a full page splash in a lot of comics would do where it would be Snake Eyes sort of just standing there or cutting the robot in half, but sort of more more like a pinup, more like a cover. Mm-hmm. You know, like I can, I'm, I'm imagining with a different artist making a different choice. And, you know, Hama has occasionally in his writing given space for this to his artists, right? I, I think it happened in, I'm trying to remember if I saw some excerpt of the plot for issue 250, or if I'm thinking of, I think I'm thinking of G.I. Joe Origins 19, which is the, the wordless issue drawn by Joe Benitez much earlier in the IDW run. And there is a full page splash of Snake Eyes halfway through that issue. And I think Hama's plot, it's like, here you go. We've been we've been building up to this. You know, you've, you've had to do all this very particular continuity of characters moving through space and keeping track of Snake Eyes' clips and his ammo and the equipment that he might be dropping as he goes through the issue. And now you can just draw a cool full page drawing of Snake Eyes being cool, like in the doorway. He's here. Um, And this page here in issue 294 by S.L. Gallant, where the fight continues and then Snake Eyes ends it. In, In the hands of a, maybe I'll say lesser artist, but someone paying less attention to the story, this page, or with a different writer, this would just be like a cool guy slash page of Snake Eyes. But there's still a lot of story here. And then you get this very G.I. Joe, very Snake Eyes flourish of taking the sword out of the robot and resheathing it, which is a little bit of closure for the the intensity of the fight, mm-hmm. which in itself is a continuation of the earlier intense fight. So uh, I like this page. It's like, Okay, Shannon Gallant can't sell this page as a like hot full page splash of Snake Eyes with his sword or Snake Eyes with his sword cutting a robot in half, but sort of. Mm. Yeah, and I get the impression that for for Shannon drawing 
an interesting storytelling page is is uh, more important to him than than drawing a more sellable uh you know like page i spy with my little eye I didn't have that many I spies this issue. We've we've talked about you know some of the little details that we picked up as we've been talking uh, you know been going going through. I had one I spy, which is did you notice that the armored faceplate on the casino bot is ever so slightly different to how they appeared in the first appearance? The the first appearance in the issue by Casey Maloney was um, a sort of a more rounded uh, kind of goggle type look to that faceplate uh, eye pop-up and here we've kind of got more rectangular kind of almost sort of a bit like those you know paper 3d glasses you used to get pop it popping up so uh, as as Gallant is going along he's sort of just tweaking the aesthetic of of you know the previous designs just to get it a little bit I guess closer to to what he thinks they should look like I wonder if by the time our listeners hear this you will have emailed the artist in question and asked him what his thinking is in making a small change to this particular bit of design on the evil robot such that you can then on our Facebook page or insert it later <laughs> into this very audio track, answer your own question. As Gallant replied to me, insert here. Bidding. John Thurman reading quotes from Gallant. Let's see what he says. Since the previous artist had a more cartoonish style, at least the one I referenced for the visor, I tried to make the prop fit within my version of the Joe universe. Everyone does it differently, and one isn't better than the other, but for me, I try to make things look like a movie version, just one where the film keeps the costumes more accurate to the comic, cartoon, and toys. Hope that explains it. Okay, back to my holiday tokusatsu marathon. Oh, great, he did. Interesting. Um, so, uh, another little t- teeny tiny detail, which I, which I noticed as we were sort of going along here, which was at the bottom of page three, uh, while Dawn and Helix are fighting the casino bot in the service tunnel, that bottom panel, uh, where she's been punched in the face by Dawn, clang, it's lowered its armored faceplate too fast inside the, the mouth of the bot. You can, and she's sort of got her mouth open, her sort of tongue, uh, and then at the back of the mouth, you can see that like a sort of a tube, which is where the flamethrower attachment is connected. So um, I just thought it was a great little piece of continuity of just maintaining that um, that design, you know, combat piece, uh, particularly given that on page one, um, she is she is using that flamethrower um, out of the mouth. So um, I think just, yeah, cool attention to detail and continuity of um the design of the robot the f- the flamethrower tube in the mouth in fact appears three times on page three mm, yeah and twice on page two indeed so um yeah um gallant is 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 tracking that uh yeah tracking is a good word uh was there anything else in the ice spies that that you wanted to call out you don't have to no 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 i, I have nothing else <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, and yeah, I didn't really. I mean, we talked about a couple of as we get, went along, but I've not, I've not called out a, a hammer time or a colloquialism. But that that moment where yeah, they're policing up their brass uh, is a is a good one for for both. Quote of the week. 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 Favorite lane of dialogue. 
I didn't quite have one, but not not in a bad way. Mm-hmm. I had I had two. I had Helix saying, "Wow, it brought missiles to a knife fight," <laughs> and Dawn saying, "Yo, sunshine, I hear your mum is a washer dryer combo." <laughs> to try and get his attention and distract it for, for Helix. Yeah, I think one of one of Hammer's strengths is that he does always come up with these um, great turns of phrases for for insults and hyperbole. Yo, yo, cola, not grape soda. It's yo, Joeage time. Yo, Joeage score. Six. Uh, it's it's in and of itself. Uh, I would actually give it a seven. It's a great issue, but in the continuity of previous issues and how important any one issue is right now, heading up to three hundred, uh, for what we were talking about, some some story pacing or redundancy from the current story, uh, it, it loses a point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'll just say ditto. I think we're I'm exactly on the same page with that that summary. Also, no letters page still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I sent in a letter. I sent in a letter for on the back of this one. So um, <laughs> we'll see what happens with that. Nothing probably. The <laughs> the next time we will be talking about the next issue of ARA, it will be issue. 295, which strangely enough is the next issue after 294. It'll be High Stakes Part 5, I believe. And that is due out on July 13th. About two weeks away from uh, the, the last one. So we are meant to be getting fortnightly June 29th, June 13th, July 27th. Exciting. But before before then, we will be joining in with Cobra Convergence and we will be having a Cobra special next week where we'll be talking about some of our favourite crazy Cobras. And Tim has dropped a few hints as to what we might be touching on in that episode. Along with, get this, spoilers, a very special appearance from The Chief. Uh, who will be joining us back again uh, after a little while away. Um, so where can people find you, Tim? Uh, my creative partners and I have uh, a company that releases uh, funny internet videos and comedy, atomicabe.com, and we have a YouTube page where you can watch all of our videos. My brick-and-mortar comic book store in Somerville, Massachusetts is Hub comics and my gi joe blog is a real american book.com excellent and was it your birthday tim yesterday at the time of recording yes how was that uh the miniature golf that i mentioned at the that top was of the a episode. birthday celebration in the form yeah. of golf excellent yeah <laughs> and did you see the picture that i drew for you yet uh so on my birthday i try to stay off the computer and so sort of late night on my birthday or the next day, I will come through um, email and social media uh, messages. Let's let's do this in real time then. I can I can send it via messenger. <laughs> wow. That's great. 
So for those of you listening on audio only, I've drawn uh, for Tim's birthday, one of his very favourite characters, Gristle, wishing him a uh, happy birthday. Uh, thanks. Is that <laughs> is that whiteout on top of the ink and marker? Yes, it is. Uh, no, it's not just marker. There's there's some watercolor. Yeah, yeah. There's all sorts in there. There's, uh, there's yeah, watercolor, a bit of marker and a bit of pencil and some whiteout. And inking with a big fat brush. Yep. Or a brush pen. A brush pen uh, and pilot parallel pen. Thank you. So you can find us on all of the usual places too. So talkingjoe.co.uk is the website that has links to all of those places. If you're not on the Facebook group, Talking Joe, a G.I. Joe podcast, join in over there where we have some good discussions. Uh, Talking Joe on Twitter talking joe comics on instagram uh you can also be interactive and on our website we've got a button where you can click on it and leave us a voicemail of up to 90 seconds long uh responding to questions giving feedback on our previous episode and so on we're also on patreon patreon.com slash talking joe and a big thanks to our backers richard sam jay bill christopher justin and our latest subscriber rob who are getting access to episodes early as well as some exclusive content uh, such as the pdf of the breakdowns to final colors for saturday morning adventures uh, which is what swung it for rob so uh, join in over there and be uh, like the rest of those cool kids so I think that is us all done until next time but until then remember nobody beats talking Joe an international podcast with just two guys this week one of them over there in that place they call America and another in old blighty laters Or did you follow the um the his tank reveal on the the classified his tank this, um, this week? I was actually more interested that someone said it's 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 too big. It, someone said that's too expensive. This must be huge. And then Ron Rudat said, "I've seen it at Hasbro. It's amazing." Mm-hmm. And I thought, when was Ron Rudat at Hasbro? Uh, well, they um actually involved him in this project, so. So they've kind of looped him in and they're basing a bonus figure on the original color scheme. Well, the when when he put forward the His Driver costume, he did like, you know, he did his design and then he sort of goes over it in sort of photocopies and goes over it in different color schemes and shares it with the, the Hasbro team and says, what, you know, what do you think of these different color options, which, you know, uh, and that was that's the process that they use. So. Um, I think as part of the bonus figure, they're taking four, uh, seven, these seven color roughs and saying uh, you can, backers can vote on their favorite version of this. Uh, and that, that will be a bonus figure that comes with the, the classified hiss tank. Uh, that's amazing. So, so yeah, they've specifically said that, you know, this is based on a Ron Rudak sort of concept drawing. So they're kind of um, making sure that they've, involved in with the project and yeah on the launch video as well i think they talk about that that um that they'd seen seen and spoken to to ron ruda and um, that lenny the main designer was um you know really 
psyched by it because you know he run you know this ped such a pedigree in designing all of the the original key characters and and he's sort of living that same legacy so cool uh, all right i'm on i'm on a i'm on a uh i'm on a youtube video from three days ago where three people are talking about this and they've got they've got screen caps from the Mm. like hasbro video are the treads gonna rotate yeah they, the treads are, are gonna move yeah oh wow and it's got a light on the front so it will like shoot out a cobra sign like the, the you know like the spidey sort of sign projector spidey thing signal. yeah so wow. um so it's looking very cool but the price point is is high it's 300 dollars. so yeah jeez. and it comes with it comes with how many how many figures? Uh, so to date, they have, in terms of what's been unlocked, they've got the basic hiss with the well, you know all of its cool features and the lights and and the sort of the little compartment at the back that opens up and you know all these kind of nice little details. They've got a main hiss tank driver. They've got a bonus figure for the variant uh, color scheme. They have got a bolt-on missile unit to go in the plugs in the side. And they've also got a like a swappable screen to make it look more like the uh, classic design. And then there's a couple more um, unlocks to be revealed. What do you mean swappable screen? Where's that? So so the canopy, you know, the, oh, the, oh, at the, the front. Wind, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the plat. Okay, because this one has the red detailing. Yeah. So there's like the one with the red de- detailing, and it's got these liftable flaps on the on the side and stuff. So it's kind of modern reinvention. But then they're also going to include a very classic design to it where it is just the sort of all, all clear um canopy so are you gonna well i'm sort of seeing all of the coverage and getting a serious fear of my, m- missing out but it will be big it will be it is expensive so I, i'm a, a little bit on the fence at the moment i'm gonna see how it plays out see what other bonuses <laughs> get included um yeah it's a lot it's a lot um separate from the size do you feel like in the middle of 2022 you can you can buy a toy for 300 bucks with a lot of shipping (laughs) i don't know i don't know yeah i could do it whether whether i would live to tell the tale if my wife found how much i spend on it was another matter (laughs) yeah um uh, okay, now I'm on the HasLab mm-hmm. uh, uh, website. So what can you fit in the cargo bay? So it's got like a jump seat. So it's got one, so it's got space for, th- for three figures, essentially. The main pilot oh in the God. front, the 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 gunner turret at the top, and then just one seat in the back. So you can only really fit one person at the back on the seat. Okay. With, the, with like a sort of uh, weapons rack as well. Missile rack. That looks neat. All right. 